1: Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com.
2: We talk about food, we talk about music, with musical dudes, finger on the pulse, Snacky Tunes.
1: Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm your host, Darren Bresnitz. Today we sit down with Benjamin Brown, the beverage director at Porchlight. We talk about the parallels between his love of music and bartending, his entry into the New York bar scene and how he worked his way up to be the beverage director at Porchlight. And then it's a dip into the archives And we were joined by the incredible team behind the legendary Northside Festival. They brought with them the singer and performing artist Gabby, who gave a great chat and a fantastic live in-studio performance. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes here on Heritage Radio Network. Benjamin, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thanks for taking the time. Really appreciate you sitting down with us.
3: Awesome. Thank you for having me.
1: Um, so you grew up in Elmira, New York, which is four hours outside the city, right? Something like that?
3: Yeah, it's about a four and a half hour drive north northwest,
1: pronounced Elmira. Elmira. You know, I've always been fascinated because I grew up in Philadelphia, which is about like two and a half hours outside the city, and I feel like when you're growing up, close to, like, the beating heartbeat that is New York, it just starts, like, getting in your brain and your blood and your soul at some point. Like, how old were you when you started looking towards the city and started being like, there's food there, there's music there, there's drinks there?
3: I think, so the first time I would have visited would have been 1997 or 98. Mm. That was living in the Upper East Side and still lives in the Upper East Side there. So, I think just being in that environment was uh, certainly a a culture shock (laughs) different from Elmira, just like the food. And Mm -hmm. uh, I think ultimately we ate out of TJ Fridays in Times Square, but even that was just like the coolest thing ever Uh, going to a Broadway show and what have you. But I think by the time it hit high school and was listening to more like folk music and rock music and the sixties lore kind of just my head. And I was like, okay, I got to find a way to get here so it was actually through, um, music ultimately that I, after college and, um, I studied guitar in college. Um, a lot of friends had already moved down here. So I was like, Oh, this would be great, great place to kind of form a band and I can market myself as being this experienced guitar player, even though like I, at that point, it was kind of hadn't played much electric in a while, but mm. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's it,
1: the poll had been there for some time. So because you work in the bar, bartending, drinks world, you know, um, a lot of times we talk to people who work in the food world, like, oh, I would get, got into food when I was a teenager and things like that. And obviously, maybe there was some imbibing when you were a teenager, but uh, it seems like music was the momentum in your younger life what was it about it what is it about music that pulled you like out of your town into the city that's been driven you creatively
3: yeah i think you know it's it was a small town is a small town Mm. um you needed to kind of find an outlet Mm.
2: um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
3: you know um to not drive yourself crazy (laughs) i think um so just to find
1: other people who liked some of the stuff you liked, right
3: yeah so i think finding those people that you know had that making that connection with them um was just looking back on it was so cool and it's something obviously that kind of happens in your formative years um when you just see something you take it and you run with it um but i think that especially like imagination aspect, the creative um, element to it um, kind of takes you to another
1: place in your head. Um, it's just so interesting to have a creative outlet that isn't 100% tied to food or drink as like your first creative outlet. Because a lot of the times when we chat with people, it's like I always knew I was going to do food. My grandma cooked, my mom cooked, my dad cooked. I got into restaurants at 14 or 15 but you come to the city to play music and to get well known was getting into bartending sort of just like the secondary thing was just like, Oh, this, this is just the way to pay the bills, but the music is going to be the ultimate goal.
3: I think so. Yes. Yes. Secondary for sure. But I think the idea in my head of what it would be like to work in the service industry in New York at that time was also Mm. something that was, you know, I didn't see it as necessarily just a job.
2: Mm.
3: something that was actually like I could see myself doing this for some time and the fact that it'll pay my bills if I'm out like gigging and stuff and mm-hmm. um, was um a plus in that way um I think there for me there were some the the similarities about the creative aspect and where I was going when I was making music and where I'm or my head's up when I'm thinking about drinks or the, the very similar kind of head space. Um, uh,
1: when you got to the city, what was, what year was it? What was the music scene like? What was the bar scene like? Cause it's, it's changed so much over like the last 10, 15 years.
3: Yeah. So I came in September of 2012 mm. um, to when I first moved down here intending to live. Um, and... Within the first couple of weeks, I lived, I was staying with friends on their futon on mm-hmm. uh, in Brooklyn and Williamsburg. Um, and a friend of mine had been working at um Maison Premier as a host. shout out, love them, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think within that first couple of weeks, um, before I even had a job, they're like, Hey, let's go check it out. And I was like, Yeah, cool. This bar that I can't afford anything on the menu, and dimly,
1: dollar <laughs> oyster our happy hour was friends to so many of us back then yeah but i think also like that
3: i i hadn't even consumed my first oyster at that mm-hmm. um so i think we went in and they definitely they that was my first um time eating raw oyster and my friend was like hey there's this off menu cool drink i think at that time it was off the menu maybe not but it was my first Sazerac and that oh yeah the, the i remember it distinctly just like the cold chilled glass and the mm. um, i think i had like in my head too growing up in Almire one of my friends had some a bottle of absinthe his dad might have made and we mm. were so
2: <laughs>
3: convinced that we were gonna like trip out on it or whatever so just seeing all those bottles that they had there and i was like where is that from and it just was so transportive um and like it still is um but it was like just a, just a whirlwind um, moment where I was just kind of like, wow, this is like, I don't know anything. I don't really know what's going on. And I'm like, this is really cool. But like,
1: how, how do I get in? Now, do you have a personality of discovering something and then diving deep all in, like getting all the books, doing all the research and things like that? Or was it like, I need to get behind a bar and learn just from doing it? It was, I think it was both. So at that point I had a friend of
3: mine that I went to school with. He was working at the modern um, mm. and I was like, cool, I can do that. And I think I walked in I was like, I don't know. I'd worked in restaurants and things before upstate, but it was uh, completely different. Everyone was wearing suits and mm-hmm. you know, like hair all well, um, maintained and it was just all so new to me, I guess. Um, but anyhow, I convinced someone that I, I could be behind the bar as a, as a bar back. And I did that, um, for a couple of years actually, but they were, the bartenders were so generous with their knowledge and uh, pointing me in the direction of, um, the books at that time that were available, um, to go to for reference. And that's when I kind of just became obsessed with it.
1: It's so interesting to get in through. I mean, look, it's it's all physical labor, but bar backing is such like, it is, it is a tough job. It is so tough. You are on your feet, you're lugging stuff, you're hauling stuff, you're cleaning and things like that. And to have that be the start of your journey into crafting high-end cocktails. At what point did it start to shift for you being like oh like the physical labor while i'm still doing it i'm starting to get more into this like creative aspect like you sort of talked about um you seeing the parallels between like what you were making with music but applying it to drinks yeah i mean
3: i look back on it and i know that i needed some time to um actually do home the home skills and um everything be guest facing as opposed to just running around being physical and saying, Hey, like I've paid my dues, like Mm. give me me my shifts. I guess, I mean, just to answer your question, I always wanted it, but it was, it took maybe a little bit more time for me to stand out against the people that were bartending at that time.
1: Mm. I mean, was it that competitive that everyone was just trying to go for the few shifts that were available?
3: So I think, yes, especially especially then. Um, So I think then versus now, like there are so many places to work.
2: Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm, mm
3: -hmm. I think there were certainly fewer than I want to say.
1: Yeah. Because during that time it was like, if you wanted a real cocktail, especially in New York city, half a dozen bars, most of them were speakeasies. And now, especially today, if a high-end restaurant or even a medium end restaurant that serves cocktails doesn't open up with a cocktail program, it's a little odd. Like you're never going to go in and find a spot that doesn't have house cocktails, something that's been specifically tailored for the menu. Back then it was a little bit different. For sure.
3: Um, I think like there was the Renaissance had already taken off and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. most of those craft places um, were already doing fresh juices and, bringing back old recipes and whatnot. Um, and that's, I think what informed the program there then too. Um, I think also when I, I ultimately decided to leave because porch light was opening up and mm-hmm. I wanted to be in a program that was a little bit more focused on that as great it was to be around some, some of the most world-class food and, wine in the world. Um, I definitely wanted to be more in it. And that's kind of when I met Nick. Um,
1: Shout out. Love Nick. Um,
3: and with that kind of opening team was like a just an insane amount of talent. So I like yeah. certainly then too. Like I was like, I have, I have been doing this for a few years, but compared to you, I, I still have no idea what's going on. Um, so it's like
1: yeah. I mean, go to learn from the best. Um, all right, let's take a quick musical break, and then we come back. I want to talk about um, you going to Porchlight, and then eventually your rise to beverage director at Porchlight. We have a song from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network.
4: I'll tell you something else. Before things go wrong, as they sometimes will, when the road you travel seems all uphill, let's work together. Come on, come on, let's work together. Now, now, people, and together we'll stand every point. Boy, another half-prank.
2: Make someone happy, make someone
4: smile. Let's all work together, make our lives worthwhile. Let's work together. Come on, come on, let's work together. Now, now. In this long life of ours, that's right, Brian. Come on, come on, let's work, work together. together. Now, now, peace fall. We were playing every born girl, woman, and man in this land. Everybody, come on. Let's work together. Let's work together. together. That's right, Joshua. Let's, let's work together. Come right, on, Brian. <laughs>
2: that was too much to have.
1: Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. Here with Benjamin Brown, the beverage director of Porchlight. So, before the break, you're telling us you've left the modern. You wanted to get over to Porchlight. Um, you know. Every bar has its own personality, especially um, nowadays. With and not, you don't even have to really teach people about cocktail culture. It really is established. What did you love about those early days of Porchlight? What did you start to pick up that you knew that you couldn't get anywhere else in the industry at that time?
3: I think what Porchlight was and is very much still um, these days were. Or- decidedly a high volume cocktail bar. So um, to be able to have as many drinks um, at that quality at the same time while serving 200 people at any given time, um, it takes a lot of um, focus um, intention that has to be there from the beginning. Um, I think also, leaning into the very much so the hospitality aspect of it, um, knowing the recipes like they're already there on the back of your head, and you're not considering it's like, Oh, how do I make a naked and famous? How do I make they, like, Louisiana? Yeah. And it's like, it's just yeah, like, yeah. It's like someone says it and it clicks where your focus and intention is kind of going is the um hospitality part of it, and it's um being with the guests, um, and making. Um, those experience, uh, experiences, um, you know, not tailored to whatever the situation is.
1: A lot of the times when we have, uh, a chef on here, like their goal's has always been like, I'm going to be a chef from an a restaurant or, you know, I'm going to go work somewhere like that. We haven't had a chance to chat with a lot of beverage directors. What does that journey look like? You know, how do you go from being a bartender, getting in with the company to eventually, like rising to like being the director of a program, especially at such an incredible spot like Portlight.
3: Yeah, so I think my my journey uh, coming from the modern in twenty fifteen, um, I was started, I continued as a bar back and server. Um, that was actually my first time that I was um, serving guests and guiding venues mm. um, and everything too, um, and it was a great experience, especially still getting my knowledge up from the bartenders that were working there um over time i got that the coveted uh open on a monday opening bartender shift
2: mm.
3: you know, <laughs> for lunch um and kind of worked on my prioritizing and
1: um big volume at that time right huge right <laughs>
3: <laughs> i think the monday lunch i mean it's all relative right like if you can, yeah Three or four guests that walk in at the same time, and you've never really done it before. You are like, kind of like, oh shit, what do I do? And <laughs> <that laughs> thing. Um, so it's as much as like you think you know. Um, it's uh, actually getting that experience for me. That so, anyway, um working those shifts, and then finally moving towards the busier nights, um, and then, of course, pandemic hits. Um, we close for a year. Um, come back with a small skeleton crew myself and then the head bartender at the time um, a few servers as well and then ultimately I get um, Nick still beverage director at this time and then I become head bartender in 22 um, so I take on more of the ordering etc and then ultimately one thing went to another and Nick decided that he was going to be a full-time dad. So there's this job that's available, um, much of which I have been doing while he was on his paternity leave while still bartending. Um, and I decided to, hey, I would love to take on this new role as beverage director.
1: When you take over at a place that's been established, and obviously there was a pandemic reset, how much of it is steering the ship keeping it going forward how much of it is putting your own mark um how do you find that balance
3: porchlight's been around for this point 8 years so our menu is kind of divided into like the seasonal offerings and then established classics <clears throat> both one like modern classics classic classics and then ones that we've had over the years so there's still a couple of opening menu things that are on there so I guess a lot of it is still maintaining those, what we've done, kind of past, present, and then looking to the future, always. Um, But I think where I can, where I make my name and make changes um, is incrementally. At this point, it's been eight months, so I haven't tweaked anything too crazy. <laughs> Just, people will note that there's probably more aquavit on the menu than there has been, the <laughs> um, but nothing to really make people's um, head spin. Certain things like gunmetal blue not going anywhere. Um, yeah, one of the reasons, like why I've been around for so long, is I like the way that we have our menu leaning into the classics. I love that. I love guiding somebody to like an army and navy or something. Mm. Um, and then we have war shots. so then I can do some crazy things over here um, for our seasonal menu. Um, but just having that balance between the two
1: um, is something that I really like. I mean, speaking of seasonal menus, I know that you're gonna be doing a holiday pop-up bar Camp Porchlight post Thanksgiving. Um, Tell me a little bit about that. Is that a chance when you do those sort of pop-up short runs things, you can experiment a little bit more?
3: Yeah. So Camp Porchlight is started as a New Year's Eve party Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. 2016. Um, So we'll deck the place out with a bunch of um, trees and um, have – Campy themed um, drinks and food offerings, very nostalgic things like that. Some holiday eggnog and um, hot butter rum sprinkled in. Um, but for post Thanksgiving to Christmas, we're gonna do it just for do it for a month and see see how it goes. I think it's gonna be really cool the thing that happens. It always like we set we do put all this work um, into doing it for a day, it's like we could. This yeah. thing for people to people to kind of experience just for the holiday for holiday parties that we get so many of and um, yeah, a really neat thing for people to have
1: yeah it's the same amount of work to set it up for a day or for a couple of weeks or a month or things like that <laughs> um, so I think it,
3: it, it's it definitely something I'm looking forward to to having around for a bit longer because we always have so much fun um, doing that just Um, the staff will go around with like these little shot ski things and just neat little things that kind of happen throughout um, the guest experience. Um, So it's a bit of, a bit of holiday in camp. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's the best time in New York city. Um, So listen, uh, with the responsibilities, with everything running with the hottest coming up, how's the guitar playing? Are you still able to get uh, sit down? it's right here. I'm
3: looking at it. Yeah. Um, so I think like for me, like having that sort of balance, Mm. if you want to do all these, like all the stuff, um, you want to do these pop-ups and we do a book club too. So, and it takes a lot of energy, um, and to kind of create that, you kind of have to be able to step away for a little bit. So while it has been difficult the past several months to find the time to play, I've made it priority to sit down with it, which is what I'm going to do right after we talk today.
1: Amazing. Well, listen, I, I won't keep you that much longer from your tar. <laughs> if people want to visit Porchlight or come to the pop-up, where can they go? How can they check out what you guys are up to?
3: Yeah. So it'll be 1125, 1124, I think is that um, November, the Friday, Black Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it'll be run through uh, New Year's Eve um so portula is at 271 11th avenue um just come on in we do um parties pretty frequently but we are no one to turn away a group of 20 to 30 that are just looking to
1: hang out i love it i love it well benjamin thank you so much also a big thank you to bailey for setting this up we have another song from the archives and then a live performance here on stacky tunes on heritage radio network
5: Throw some sea salt over my own head. Sprinkle flour to keep Satan off my doorstep. And these are the habits that I can't understand. Rational reflexes stupify my super superstitious contraband. Chinese charms with concave mirrors pierce. stones and crystal bones protect me until Keep pennies, turquoise, and fool's gold. I light up my ghost town sage. Water glass is oil, the is oh I'll never itch my palm. Here's to my lucky dog.
1: My name is Brandon Boyd co-owner of robertas a super duper awesome place
3: robertas is a very 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 proud sponsor of the heritage radio network we're also super awesome thank you heritage
1: jeff and gabby welcome welcome hi hi welcome us (laughs) yeah jeff is from the incredible northside festival and gabby who you heard open the show will be performing there let's start with northside Ninth year, ninth year, million bands, uh, th- hundred thousand people. <laughs> uh, where did Northside get its start, and how has it grown over the, the last nine years?
6: Well, it started in two thousand nine as sort of an outgrowth of the L Magazine, which you may remember
1: for I a long the, time. I love the brothers,
6: <laughs> old 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 uh, Brooklyn Williamsburg heads. Remember the L Magazine? Mm-hmm. The uh, but it started just as. There were so many venues just around a locus in Williamsburg and Greenpoint uh, that taking advantage of them all to, like, take them over, throw, like, a the opportunity to have a huge, like, festival within this small footprint uh, was the idea, and since then, uh, the as you know the landscape the venue landscape has changed drastically mm-hmm. so we are still here <laughs> but where here is in terms of like the clubs that we're in um and the places where northside throw shows has has changed a lot um you know, now we started just doing club shows. Now we have, uh, for the last few years, our marquee events have been in McCarran Park, which is, you know, last year we had Brian Wilson's play Pet Sounds, which was incredible, <laughs>
1: which is just phenomenal right. to see it.
6: Before that, you know, Solange played there a few years back. We've had, like, Churches Guided by Voices. Chance the Rapper. Chance the, Rap- Chance the Rapper played Europa, which doesn't
1: exist anymore. Good Room Now, but that's, Good room now. That's, that's actually really funny.
6: It was. I mean, it's crazy to think about because he seems, like, impossibly young right now, but, like, we, he played the Northside Festival in 2013. So when he was, like, 20. He was 20, yeah. Was 20. And it was in Europa, which uh, used to be primarily, like, a, a Polish disco, and like music venue, which is now turned into the Good Room where we'll have shows this year. But I mean, uh, it's we've been here for <laughs> vast changes in Brooklyn, and I like to think that we're keeping up with them. <laughs>
1: And you've also grown programming outside of Just Music. I know it primarily started there, but now you have innovation. Uh, Well, let's start there. The the innovation programming, which is some of the best minds in the world, coming and speaking on a number of panels.
6: Absolutely. Um, I mean, this year uh, we're we're launching something new. We're launching uh, what's called uh, Northside Report, which is like a journalism symposium that has, you know, we're bringing in people like... uh, Ben Smith from BuzzFeed, we have, we're have we partnering with BuzzFeed and The Intercept. So uh we have speakers like Ben Smith from BuzzFeed, Glenn Greenwald, uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio will be <laughs> <Who>? around. <laughs> yeah, so we're, uh, you know, obviously this is a really crazy time for media, too, and journalism. So uh, there'll be a lot of panels and talks
1: about, you know, how to even report about modern times. <laughs> Are these going to be, you know, 400-level type Panels it's not like inter- it's not like journalism 101 it's going to get right uh, to the heart of the matter
6: I, It's really honing into like Trump and uh, journalism In the Trump age and just uh, the, the name of the You know the main uh, Panel there is you are fake news That's sort of digging into how to get out You know and how How to report like how To talk about things like how to get You know what is fake news what isn't um, that, that Programming will start on a June the seventh, and then um, music over comes in June the eighth, and overlaps with those four days. I mean, it's just we're chocked full of like <laughs> an insane amount of events in that in
1: that little little window of time. And why do you feel a music festival is a good fertile ground for something like um, the Intercept and and doing this type of programming? And how does that fit into the overall mission of Northside? Well, I think that I mean you can't.
6: It just people who are active in the arts community in Brooklyn like have a lot of interests. I mean, people who uh, in the arts and in the cultures who would be out here uh, seeing shows every night and making art every night are really concerned about these issues. So I mean, it's a good it's a good time to both uh, celebrate like the local community and also really like bring in people who people might not see on a day-to-day
1: basis. Well, it's not just about talking. It's also about music, which is why Gabby is here today. Before we get into your projects, can we hear a song first, just to kind of set the tone? Sure. What are you going to play for us first?
7: Um, All right. So the first song I'm going to play is called Where. It's a short song um, off my last album, Sympathy, which came out on Software Records. Um, I build it live off of Loops. Which is kind of the theme for today, actually. Okay,
1: that sounds good. Here we go live on Snacky Tunes. It's really amazing. You have such a strong background in the performing arts. Your work has been part of the Bob Wilson Watermill Center. Uh, Roulette has commissioned some of your work, Annie Warhol Museum. Um, I know that the larger name is Gabrielle. So how does Gabi fit into the Gabrielle (laughs) world? And how do you make the two distinctions?
7: That's a good question. Um, Something I think about all the time. Uh, Yeah, I, I guess I feel like I lead two different lives musically a little bit, but they both inform each other and they entwine all the time. So, I guess I go by my full name, Gabriel Herbst, which is German for autumn, (laughs) Um, for, like, more compositional-based stuff, like more composer work. So, I... I actually have two shows next week um, of these two commissions that I just wrote. One is for the Nouveau Classical Project, which is this amazing group of five women um, for clarinet, um, flute, piano, violin, and cello. And I made, like, an electronic vocal score to go with the piece. So I— I guess, you know, and then I wrote a piece for two classical guitars that's going to be performed next week. So I enjoy composing in a more, like, notated, I guess, more classical space. And
1: and which name are those projects under?
7: My full name. Okay. And then Gabi is kind of like this other world that I live in sometimes, or all the time. You know, (laughs) I want to live there all the time. I try. try. (laughs) And, um... And that is, like, where I'm singing and, and writing songs and, like, um, in like exploring kind of a different avenue musically and playing in different kinds of venues and, you know, like, clubs and and just trying to, you know, like, feed some of my pop sensibilities with um, my classical background, I guess.
1: Is there a song or is there a time when you start writing a song and you don't know which direction it will take? And if so, how, how quickly in the process did you figure out which avenue it will live in?
7: You know, they're, they're like, they're so, they live, they're the same thing, <laughs> like, which I'm kind of discovering more and more. And I think that, you know, as I get older, they'll probably literally just become the same exact thing. Like, Which maybe I'm w- finding myself in an interesting way. Or
1: Which identity wins?
7: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like the inner duel of like selves.
1: <laughs> and does the other one push um, one project? Like, one allows you to experiment and say this, like you said, your pop sensibilities. Or does it that since you have such a strong background from your your education and your your youth? that that world kind of uh, is the one that inspires the, the smaller pop projects?
7: I, I just think that, you know, every project is, like, its own little being. Like, I don't know. I, I feel like my songs are my babies, and, like, same with my compositions. You know, it's like they I create them, and then they, like, lead their own lives. They kind of dictate what they are. So it's, it's really hard to say. It just depends on the project. But, I mean, I love... You know, I, the, my Gabi self, <laughs> I'm really excited to c- explore stuff with this new record that I'm writing and, like, go deeper into song craft, I guess.
1: And how is it evolving from the first record?
7: It feels really different to me. Um, you know, it's hard to say what other listeners will think, but... Um, I don't know. I guess I've been thinking a lot about, you know, like my, like why I'm writing music and, you know, songs in their purest form and what's most important for me to get across to people. Um, Trying to, you know, not get like too sidetracked by things that aren't interesting to me. You know, like I think virtuosity is something that's not important to me, you know, like simplicity can be just as impacting and beautiful so I I don't know I guess I'm just trying to go with what I think is really important right now sonically and um and I think this stuff sounds it feels really um like personal which is interesting because I've never really written stuff like that before so that is is cool for me too it's it's really scary which I love you know I like doing things that freak myself out so it's good
1: can we hear another song sure okay what are you going to play for (laughs) us
7: Let's get scared, okay. <laughs> um, I'm gonna play. So I'm playing three songs today, and they're all like. Just so you know, when you're listening, I'm I'm like building each song, you know, live by by like layers of voice, which is really fun and spontaneous, but also like mildly frightening because like anything can happen <laughs> you know like it's much it's easier to just be like play and then it's like the perfect song <laughs> so we'll see what happens we're,
1: we're like a bit messy on snacky tunes <laughs> so it fits right in
7: i need a napkin okay cool so this is um this has like a couple names right now so maybe i'll just like leave it unnamed
1: perfect So Gabby, you are one of the 300 bands that is going to be playing <laughs> Northside Festival uh, in a couple weeks. Uh, Jeff, what can you tell us about the show?
6: Uh, Gabby, we'll be playing with. Um, uh, there's a there's a church right off of McGorlick Park in Greenpoint that's been throwing amazing
1: art shows. Is that the same one that used to do the sober dance parties?
6: I don't know. It, it, this this. The programming there... Probably. Yeah, you would... I mean, you can buy drinks at the show. okay. But... I think that was more the programming, less the the church. But uh, it's on Friday, June 9th, and Gabi will be playing along with Kristen Control. Um, And it's an amazing setup with, like, people sit in the pews. There are huge... uh, like AV installations, uh, it's a beautiful place for a show.
7: I love that space so much. I've never played there, so I'm really super excited. I also love Kristen Control; she's amazing.
1: Yes, I mean she really. It's a gr- it's a great twofer. Um, have you gotten a chance to get into the the church and map things out or plan things that was just recreated in your mind from previous shows you have been at?
7: Um, I mean, yeah, I've been in there a fair amount just exploring so i don't know i I definitely want to take full advantage of the space i've already been thinking about that a lot like how can i move around a lot i actually have a really cool band joining me i have a harpist mary lou donovan and a bass clarinet player mara Mayer, and they're like the shit so i definitely want to i don't know i want to like make the show as exciting as possible and as like interactive
1: will they let you get on the organ
7: I don't
1: know. <laughs> we can ask.
7: That'd be really cool, yeah.
1: Just like one song. Uh, and so who are some of the other bands that are playing this year? Uh, well, they're,
6: the McCarran Park shows that I mentioned previously, uh, the opening night we're going to have Dirty Projectors along with Kamazi Washington, the great jazz artist. What a lineup. And uh, Jay Som, who's a great up-and-coming band also. That's on Thursday the 8th. Uh, we have Miguel the Great R&B Singer will be there on Saturday. Uh, and we're closing up on Sunday with uh, a huge like punk and emo show with Thursday, Pup coming in from Toronto, uh, Jeff Rosenstock, Tony Molina, and The Hotel Year. Pup is uh, one of the all-time favorite Snacky Tunes bands. <laughs> we that, love them so much. That show's free, by the way. Uh, it's just folks get in with their badge or they can RSVP. But it'll be it'll be a whole... Uh, there'll be a lot
1: of feelings and a lot of fists pumped. A lot, a lot of like thirty something year old like dudes singing along.
6: I'm hoping for teens. <laughs> I think we'll get some teens also. Yeah, and there's some
1: quiet people in the back, just kind of. So those
6: are the big shows, but there's shows. I mean, I, I encourage people to go to Northside Festival's website uh, and peruse the schedule because there are. You know, we do shows with local labels. We do shows with uh, media companies. We do shows with people like Pitchfork. We do a show um, with the Thirty Three and a Third book series. Mm that we started last year where artists will take on uh, whole records that they've put out books on. So this year we have uh, Lower Dens playing uh, Ava Gold, Ava's Greatest Hits, Wow! at Rough Trade on uh, Saturday the 10th. Um, there's a lot of shows. I think, <laughs> I think
1: what's really set Northside uh, apart from some of the other music festivals that span days is that you really are as much about discovery as you are about the headliners. I think some of the other festivals... Oh, in years past just rely on like, the biggest names possible, which you have, but right. Kamase and Dirty Projectors are, are big, but they're not the biggest mo- like stars in the musical universe because I think you balance it out with really interesting uh, programming.
6: I mean, that's the goal always. And I mean, it in terms of, we really try to work with the community and the people who are here doing shows every day and doing cool things in the city and trying to work with them to do you know maybe a slightly more grandiose version but like to bring in interesting artists that already like fit into the aesthetics of the communities that are here or um just to provide a great uh celebration for everybody the um yeah
1: well i want to thank you both for coming on the show gabby we want to get one more song in yay (laughs) i'd like to thank the team at Full Service Radio uh, and Rice for giving us that very special interview. We'll be back next week with another full live episode of Snacky Tunes. Gabby, what are you going to take us out with?
7: It's called Till the End.
1: Till the End. <laughs> Aptly named. Jeff, congrats on this year's festival. Looking Thanks for having Looking forward to us. checking out the show. fist yeah. pumping and all. <laughs> Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.
2: Talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky tunes.
1: Snacky tunes is powered by SimpleCast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio, supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradio.network.org/slash subscribe.